Well, greetings, Redemption Hill Church. Uh, Pastor Sean here, and, and thanks for tuning into this video um, online. And uh, these are unusual times, right? Uh, as many of you know, we've canceled our Sunday celebration, and you're here um, viewing the, the sermon. So thank you for clicking on. And before I, before I begin the sermon, uh, we'll continue our sermon series in Acts. Let me just make a few thoughts about... Um, about uh, COVID-19 and, and why we've made this decision. Um, despite the circumstances, um, these are not times for fear, but greater faith. As we've seen in our journey through Acts, God's people are faced with constant trials. That's what we've seen time after time again, one trial after another. But they maintained joy in Christ and, and did not fear. We, we see that oftentimes we're going to see it today in our text. They had joy and they were not afraid. With this said, uh, we want to be prudent and wise as well. While we do not want to overreact, we must understand how to live by faith in the present. Uh, let, me, let me make this clear. COVID-19 is scary, as I said in my email, but we are not scared, right? Uh, remember, we belong to the sovereign Lord who holds all things by his mighty hands. We trust in him not only to care for us, but to care for others. So this decision to not meet, as of right now, um, is not about fear, but about wise love for our neighbors and concern for our community and, and, and for each other. So here's some steps. In light of everything I've said about what you already know about COVID-19, here's some steps I want to begin to take as a church community, um, just as we navigate this uh, hopefully temporary time period. Um, as you're going to see in your email, I'm going to set up times for personal pastoral home visits, so please take advantage of that. I encourage you all to take advantage of that. Um, you just click on the link, and it, it connects to my calendar, and and um, I'll be able to come over, I'll, we'll pray together, and then we'll go over the uh, Bible reading plan that's going to be set up for our church. And that leads, leads me to the second thing. We're going to have a Redemption Hill Bible reading plan, so we can, we can be reading the scriptures together and be in unison. Um, I think that's a great way to connect and be unified. Also, we're going to leverage technology, just like you watching this video right now. There's going to be other ways we're going to leverage technology, and we're going to explore that. Right now, we're just kind of cobbling some things together, but in the next week, we'll, we'll see if there's other ways we can leverage technology, if indeed we cannot meet in, in the following weeks ahead. And also, we'll continue in our community groups. Um, a thought about that, which many of you have already read via email, uh, if you are sick or there's somebody in your household who is sick, don't attend community groups. I think it's just wise. Um, but we want to continue to meet as much as we can, and that wisdom would allow. And so I want to continue with our full groups, our men's group, and our women's group. And I'll be in touch with other community group leaders regarding what that can look like. Uh, one final thought is before moving into the message. Um, parents with kids, along with uh, these videos, I'm going to be emailing out um, the coloring sheets that we usually have for Redemption Hill Kids, along with the memory verse. Parents, I want to really encourage you to dial in to discipling your kids in this season. Obviously, many of you are already doing that, but use your Sunday mornings now as your home together to watch the sermons and then to uh, be coloring with them. Go over the, uh, the, the Bible verse, right, that is a part of that uh, coloring sheet. And so um, be intentional. Be intentional if you have kids. So all that said, this is not permanent, but we want to be prudent. Um, I refuse to join the hysteria, but I also want to know the facts and then respond biblically in light of 
the facts. That's, that's why we're here. And many, many folks may disagree or agree with how these things work and how to, how to navigate these unusual times. And um, there, there's grace for that as well, I think. So all that said, um, I'll continue to be in touch with you via email about how we navigate um, the days, weeks ahead. Well, now let me read our passage for today as we continue in the book of Acts. So if you've got your Bible, you can open it right up to Acts 13. We'll begin in verse 40, and, and this week we'll be taking it all the way. Uh, we'll be turning the page into Acts 14 and going to verse 7. So if you've got the word in front of you, let's read. It says in verse 40, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about, Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe, even if no one tells it to you. And they went out. The people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting in the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly, saying, It was necessary the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles." For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you relation to the ends of the earth. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Hold on to that. We're going to talk about that particular verse. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the the devout women of high standing and the leading men in the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews, with the rulers, to mistreat and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and they continued to preach the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, before I begin, let's pray. Father, even though these are unusual times, you are sovereign over it all. Um, even you, you are sovereign over me preaching from my living room. Um, may this be a, a time and season where we not only trust you more, but we are actually more zealous to tell other people about the hope that is found in Christ. And so, God, by the power of 
the Spirit continue to work in us, continue to work in our church for our good and for the honor and glory of your name. Amen. I'm not sure if you noticed, but I left you two weeks ago with a bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, We went through Paul's first recorded sermon in Acts 13, and we ended in verse 39 where Paul kind of goes after the law of Moses. (laughs) The primary point Paul makes in verse 39 is that the law cannot set you free. The law of Moses cannot make you right before God. The law cannot forgive you of your sins. If anything, the law reveals your sins, right? Uh, The same principle applies today. There is nothing you can do to set yourself free. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right before God. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. And, And you cannot forgive yourself of your sins. And how can a person be set free and justified and forgiven? What's Paul's point? By believing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As it was in the first century, the truth of the gospel remains today. You cannot add your works to the free gift of the gospel. Paul has shown the thread that connects all of history, and it is God who redeems and saves. What he's kind of showing in this first sermon, this first recorded sermon. Well, the Jews who loved the law of Moses, as we read in this passage, have been like taken back. It's like, whoa, what do we do with this? This is blasphemy, right? You're not supposed to say this about the law of Moses. It's one thing to say that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Okay, you want to make that claim, Paul, go ahead. It's quite another thing to say that they have, they have they missed the entire point of the law and, frankly, the entire Old Testament. It'd be kind of like reading a, a book that we enjoy at the Powers household, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia series. It's, it's popular. Maybe you've seen the movie or you've read the book. Um, it'd be like reading that book, and after you kind of finish reading the book, one of the conclusions that you made is like the white witch is the victor at the end, right? If you think the white witch ha- is the one who is the victor at the end, you've completely misread the book. Paul sees the same air and how many people um, have read and some continue to read the Old Testament. Look at his strong language in verse 40. He's got this, Beware, therefore, least it is said and the prophets should come about. And he's saying this to the Jews, Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe. You will not believe it even if I tell it to you. Paul gives his own version of like um, this famous sermon by Jonathan Edwards, his own version of sinners in the hands of the in the hands of an angry God, right? He's giving strong words. In verse verses forty to forty one, Paul is referencing the, the prophet Habakkuk. Here's the direct quote from the prophet. Look among the nations, the prophet says, and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, certainly, the prophet spoke to another context and generation, but the message is the same here, and it's the same for Paul, and it's the same for us today. God is doing something bigger than the immediate 
audience could see, right? Just as Israel missed it, many, not all, many people continue to read the Bible and continue to miss like what God is doing. Paul's like, hey, even if I told you the truth, like right in your face, just as I'm doing right now, you will still not believe. It'd be like, it'd be like this. If, I, if you came up to me and said, hey, Sean, Pastor Sean, your truck is red. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's blue. I mean, go outside, take a look. All the facts suggest my truck is blue. It's not red. If this were to happen, there would be like a, a sense of blindness or, or ignorance on your part. You will not believe the truth. Paul's admonition isn't different today. The truth of who God is can be preached to a room of a hundred people. Some will affirm the truth of who God is, and some will deny the truth. There will always be hard hearts. There will always be blind eyes. Many fail to see the work of God, not only in their own history, but through the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, Parents with kids know what it's like to repeatedly say something and uh, at times be ignored, right? Like, no matter how many times you tell little Timmy to stop jumping on the couch, like, like, it, like the couch is a jungle gym, he seems to only do it more. Well, because many could not hear the message of salvation, they kept jumping on the couch, ignoring the warning. And while they were ignoring the warning, they also ignored the hope. One contextual point before digging more into the text. We see a bit more movement, as we've seen in previous weeks throughout the book of Acts. We see more movement from Paul and Barnabas. Again, if you remember from previous weeks, we're actually in this first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Uh, When you flip the page to Acts 14, and we end up in the city of Iconium, that's 90 miles southeast of Antioch, where they're currently at, Um, We see some similar themes emerging from the two. That's why I kind of combined the two passages. In particular, we see two competing messages. That is, one is one of hope, right? And one is a message that is of hate. Both messages come from deep belief and deep conviction. Both messages are meant to invoke change in in one way or another. But both messages could not be more different. What strikes me in this passage is the visceral hatred toward Paul's message. In this one passage, listen to what hate sounds like. In verse 45, it says the Jewish leaders were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. Well, he's saying this, guess what? We're going to say this. Um, It says they began to revile him, verse 45 again. Another usage of the Greek word for revile is slander. I think slander gets to how Paul's opponents responded to his message of salvation. Uh, they, they cut him down. They began to go after his character. In their attempt to combat truth, they spoke lies. The slander didn't come from nowhere. It was an outworking of their, what, jealous heart. You know, I've seen how this kind of jealousy or zeal 
can blind a person from truth and reality. I think we all have, right? Even if a person is championing like a noble cause, jealousy can cloud judgment. It can make a person headstrong regardless of the truth. Uh, the Jewish leaders did not care about anything but to shut Paul down. They wanted him to go. And as a result, their visceral hatred manifested with like this plan. Like, okay, we're going to slander him, but now how do we get rid of him, right? Well, that's verse 50. Take a look. But the Jews incited uh, the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They got to go. So basically, like a committee was created and a plan was hatched. Sally went to coffee with the ladies and shared a few lies about Paul and Barnabas. Jack and Dave went to the evening bowling league to tell the other guys that Paul and Barnabas need to go. That's how slander works. You let it spread. We've seen this scene before in the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas were kicked out. Uh, their message was received by some, others didn't care, and the rest were hostile. And off they went to the next town, Iconium. It's clear from verses uh, 51 and 52 that Paul and Barnabas were not concerned about the hostility. Like, think about if you're being persecuted or Oftentimes, we, our concern goes to like how we're being persecuted and why and all the questions that surround the hostility. But look at those verses. But they shook the dust off the feet of their feet against them and went to Iconium. It's like, ah, we're good. We're, we don't care. I mean, if you're not going to receive, we're, gonna keep, we're just going to move on because there's other people who are going to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the disciples, it says in verse 52, were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. They were not concerned, but they were joyful at the work of God. They were not concerned about their own lives, but concerned about, but joyful about what God had been doing. Whatever trials they faced, whatever persecution they experienced, um, did not compare to the joy they felt because of the gift of salvation was being bestowed upon people. So I want to pass, pause and ask a question, right? In light of everything we read in God's word. How did they have joy even though they were being persecuted? Right? Joy is not determined by the present circumstances, but found in unwavering trust in Jesus. Paul and Barnabas had been saved by God and their joy was not going to be compromised by what was going on all around them. Surely, at least right here for a moment, there is application when it comes to how we interact with our present circumstances here, you know, in America, 21st century March with COVID-19 being the center of attention and concern, right? Right now, COVID-19 has captured the attention of the world. People are worried. Some have taken extraordinary steps out of fear and anxiety. Yet God calls us to have joy no matter our circumstances. While COVID-19, commonly known as 
coronavirus is not a person, right? It's not a person. It has become a persecutor to many, and Christians included. But we need to remember, God is still sovereign over our circumstances, and we can still have joy because of what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, through the gospel. Now back to our passage. As you turn to chapter 14, the hatred toward the gospel only continued, right? As we read and as we would expect. Again, I I imagine that slander was the key to poison the minds of the Gentiles. um, From the Gentiles, verse 2, the end goal in Iconium is what? Death, right? They wanted to stone Paul and Barnabas, verse 5. So I'm sure you all kind of like get the picture. It's been a repeated message throughout Acts. There had been and always will be hostility toward the gospel message, and not only the message, but its messengers. But here's what I want you to see in Acts, and this is what I want, want you to know about your current gospel witness. The gospel is always greater than the hatred. The gospel message, which is about salvation, is because love the love of God through Jesus Christ is greater than the hate. There's so much peace when we realize that. There's so much freedom in sharing the gospel with other people when we come to terms with that. It may seem um, elementary to say this, but Paul, we can note, did not respond in kind to his persecutors, right? Like, When a person is persecuted, oftentimes we want to see how they respond. While it is clear he did preach forcefully and truthfully, there was no jealousy from Paul. There was no threats of stoning, right? It is not like the Jews brought out a bat and Paul responds in kind, like with a larger bat. We see Paul time and again stay on point. Paul sees that the real battle is for the soul. And the battle is not a fist match between two people, right? Paul stays on point by showing from the Bible God's plan of redemption. Here's what Paul said in the face of persecution, along with a significant passage from the Old Testament, which which he quotes. And Paul and Barnabas, what did they do? See this again. He spoke boldly. You see that word boldly again all throughout the book of Acts, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. He's like, I'm going to the synagogue. I'm going to preach the gospel here first. Since you thrust it aside, it's like, I I preached it to you. Guess what? You thrust it aside. And now what? You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. That's verse 46. And then he says, behold, we're now going to go to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation. Here's the mission. Bring salvation to the ends of the earth. There are several important theological points being brought to the table here. First, Paul says it was necessary that the gospel message first go to the Jews. Why? Right? Why are they so important? 
The answer lies in not who Israel is, but in what God is doing. From the foundation of the world, God has been on mission to see his people redeemed through Jesus Christ. In the wisdom of God, he saw it necessary to use Israel as a vehicle for his plan. Israel isn't extra special over the Gentiles, but God wants Israel to have faith in Jesus to witness to the Gentiles. Hence, Paul quotes Isaiah 49.6. God wants the Jews to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all people. And of course, there is like a ripple effect. The Jews share with the Gentiles. The Gentiles uh, share with other Gentiles. And the message begins to spread. What does it say in our text? To the ends of the earth, right? This is like a holy ordained pyramid business model without all the, the, like the financial repercussions, right? Here is, in part, like how I read the Old Testament. The Jews were stewards of God's redemptive message, but they kept dropping the ball. Now, before someone with a Twitter account goes after me for blaming the Jews for everything, let me just say this. The church has dropped the gospel ball. Just look around, drive down the street to the next church, and you'll hear how to live your best life now. You will get advice on how to be a better you. You will hear about a relationship with God that secures health, wealth, and prosperity, which is a lie. But you will not hear about what it means to have a relationship with your Creator. You will not hear that being in a right relationship with God includes repenting from your sin and then trusting that Jesus died on a cross for your sin and that three days later he rose to life showing that death has no claim on his life, showing he has the power of the grave, validating everything he said and did during his earthly ministry. Listen, I I, I don't, do not intend to hate on every church that isn't like Redemption Hill Church. That is far from my point. And I certainly do not believe we have it all figured out. We're still learning as we go. And I do not have time for cultish mentality. What I am saying is that if a church isn't preaching the gospel, then they are a hospital for the sick where the patients remain sick. I believe if you were to transport Jesus to a 21st century church in America, I'm conv- I, I, I think and he would be like, guys, just like Israel, you're getting distracted and off message. You're getting distracted by trying to be cool and relevant and not concerned with matters of the soul. You're not concerned with what it means for a sinful person to be in a right relationship with a holy God. I'll say it like this, and then I'll move on. The church needs to be more concerned about substance than style. Now, I have no problem with style. I have no problem with working toward excellence. But a church without, a church with style without substance is no church. It's a country club full of people who gather for other reasons. There are a couple more points I want to drive home from this passage. Uh, The next point is from verse 48. It says this, 
And when the Gentiles heard this, like, so Paul is preaching the gospel to the Jews. He says to them, now we're going to go to the Gentiles because many of you aren't even listening. And how did the Gentiles react? They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. There's that word, of, word again. I, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, joy. Rejoicing. Even though the church is being persecuted, the church rejoices because people are hearing and receiving the message of salvation. But that's not the main reason why I directed your attention to verse 48. We talked about what the importance of joy in the midst of persecution earlier. The main reasons, uh, theological. At the end of verse 38, it says, and as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. It's it's a startling admission by Paul. Uh, think about it. He's the one preaching. He's the one who's laboring in this ministry. He's the one being persecuted, right? Yet he relinquishes all control over how any given person will respond to the message he's preaching. Why? Because Paul has no control over how a person will respond. He can't force anyone to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I can't force you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In general, humans are so prone to control, right? Uh, Especially if you put a lot of time and energy into something. But here, there is no notion of control from Paul. There is no tension. You know what there is? Trust. Trust in his God. Trust that he knows that God is doing everything for good and for his glory. There's another point to be made from the latter part of verse 48. Not only Paul or Sean Powers cannot force you to believe in Jesus, you can't force yourself to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, there's profound disagreement between good people on what I just said. And there's a spectrum of belief when it comes to understanding a person's role in having faith in God. But here's what I want you to see in verse 48. Um, The Greek word for appointed, uh, tasso, can also be um, interpreted as ordain. It is stated in the past tense, in the past tense, which indicates what is happening at present is because of God's sovereign will, and He made it happen. What Luke records here, Paul says in Ephesians one, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. You hear that? Before the foundation of the world chosen in Christ, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Here's some more language of present circumstances being done in the past. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Uh, The late theologian R.C. Sproul said this about his salvation. It was God, the hound of heaven who renewed me by the Holy Spirit and created faith in my heart. And then I responded. There is no way to soften verse 48 to say a person brings something to the table when he or she is saved. There's no way to soften that. A couple questions people ask me when I say this are, one, 
Are you saying I contribute nothing to my salvation? And the unequivocal answer in the Bible is yes. It's all God and none of you. Your sin and rebellion, according to the Bible, has made you completely blinded, dead, and incapable of being saved. It is God who causes a person to repent from sin. It is God who grants forgiveness of sins. It is God who gives eternal life. Notice that even though it is God who does 100% of the work in a person's justification and salvation, Paul does not pull back on preaching the gospel. Sometimes the, the critique is, you know, if God does all the work, what's the point of preaching? Well, when we look at Acts, you know what? Paul just pushes in more and preaches the message of salvation. He knows that for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, that preaching the gospel is absolutely 100% essential. Preaching is the vehicle in which the gospel spreads. Paul is obedient to the call, of pre- call to preach, but God is the one who has appointed some to, salva- to salvation. Like We're going to get to this more later in, in Acts, but I'm going to point it out right now, um, a similar pattern. Paul is, in Acts 18, he's preaching and teaching in Corinth, right? And then the Lord speaks to Paul. Listen to this. He says, do not be afraid. And Paul's like debating, hey, what do I, what do, I do here in Corinth? And, and the Lord's like, don't be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. And here's what I want you to see. For I have many in this city who are my people. And so it says Paul stayed there for six months teaching the word of God among them. The Lord is saying, hey, you you do your job and I've already done my job. They're going to respond when you preach the message of salvation to them. God is at work. And Paul is merely a tool in the hand of God so that God's good purposes would be on display, so that his glory would be seen. Everything I have said and everything we've read in our passage has led me to the point I've already made. The gospel is always going to win over hate and persecution. The gospel is going, even as I preach and as you listen, the gospel is going to every nation, tribe, and tongue. God has already won because of the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. God is doing a global work so that his glory would be on display. Now I'm just going to add this. As we continue to move forward as a local church, we want to start to be more mindful about how we can participate in God's global mission. Church planning is very local, but we need to start thinking beyond our our local community. But think, how can we partner across this earth? Since the beginning of our study on Acts, we have seen the gospel move like a wrecking ball through a building. There's no stopping it. The questions for you is this, like, do you find yourselves active in the advancement of the gospel? Like, are you actively participating or are you idle or, or indifferent or even worse? Are you trying to oppose the gospel? I think we have seen throughout Acts that God calls all Christians to be active. 
I'm going to close with these remarks. And these remarks are um, coming from a letter I sent to many of you in the local church. Uh, Despite these circumstances, COVID-19, these are not times for fear, but greater faith. As we've seen in our journey through Acts, God's people faced constant trials, but they maintained joy in Christ and did not fear. With this said, we want to be prudent and wise. As I mentioned at the very beginning, we don't want to overreact, but we want to understand how to live by faith in the present circumstances. And you know what? The world is watching. Your neighbor is watching to see how you will react. And there's not a better time to be a gospel witness in the midst of uncertainty. We can speak the message of salvation with love. While I was reading up on COVID-19, I came across this story of of Christians living in China at the beginning of the uh, pandemic. And I'm going to share it with you as I close. Some of our brothers and sisters in China have followed the pattern of Christ's love and showing love to their church families, right? According to a World Magazine article, uh, when a woman from Wuhan came down with the coronavirus while visiting her son to celebrate the Chinese New Year. The son's church, listen to this, instead of staying as far far away as they can from him and his family, brought food to the family, and they remained under quarantine, shared the gospel with the infected woman so that she could come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they played Christian hymns for her throughout the last 24 hours of life before she passed away. The pastor preached from Psalm 80 at her funeral, saying that such calamity should not only make people cry out for deliverance from disease, but also for deliverance from sin and death. And the church filmed the memorial service for the woman's family back home. As members of the household of God, we are to display such radical, countercultural, self-sacrificing love of Jesus for others. So yes, take precautions. But as those precautions, as you take those precautions, keep in front of you that you are an active gospel witness as we've seen in Acts. Do not let COVID-19 keep you from sharing the gospel to a needy and watching world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for your word and we submit underneath your word. Continue to instruct us through your word. And I pray that we would continue to be effective gospel witnesses in our communities. And Lord willing, use this church to take the gospel message to this entire world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.